Welcome home, where homeownership matters for all. A production of the Orange Chatham Association of Realtors. A voice for real property rights. Good afternoon and welcome to the OCHAR podcast talk about series 2022. This is our September episode and I'm thrilled to introduce you to Tucker Beck who is a gentleman who works in the Triangle with 17 years of experience as a new home consultant. Welcome Tucker. Thanks Marcia. So nice to have you here and boy do we need to learn about new construction, especially new construction in this market. Tucker, how did you get started with new construction? I guess you'd say my, my first job in, in new homes or new construction was back when I was in high school. Before the signed ordinances of Cary and Apex and stuff went into place, you had, uh, and no one had an iPhone, right? A Blackberry didn't exist. And so you had directional signs at the intersections to tell customers or, you know, hey, the neighborhood's this way or new homes are that way. And so uh, me and a couple of buddies I went to high school with, that's what we did on Friday afternoons and put them in the ground and we picked them up on Sunday and <laughs> that's great. You know, we worked two days a week and you know, that was that was our, our our my high school employment. That's incredible. Yeah. yeah. And realtors really depended on that. So that yeah. was a huge help. I'm yeah. sure your your services were in demand. <laughs> yeah, we, I guess you could say that. Um, and the, the other kind of neat thing is, you know, where we were putting those signs in the ground, goodness, that's over twenty years ago. And then what is in those locations now and how drastically those areas of of the overall triangle market has changed as people continue to move here. That's interesting. Yeah. Well, when I asked you that question, I didn't expect you to start with high school. (laughs) So So then you went to college. Did you do anything with uh, new construction in college? uh, No, I I went to East Carolina. I got a, a business degree in marketing. Uh, and I started working for a home builder after after graduation. Okay. My mother's been in the real estate market here in the greater Raleigh area for quite a while. And so uh, that helped with an interview or mm-hmm. two for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I started working for a home building company in 2005. Okay. And was that a production builder? Yeah. Is that, is that language that you guys use, production versus custom? Well, I think that there's definitely, you know, Track building used to be a term that people would use and production building and custom building. You know, in my opinion, anyone that's doing over 150 homes a year, that's a production build house. Okay. And that's, I mean, that's my opinion. I'm sure there's mm-hmm. people that will disagree. So I would say the majority of the market is production built. I think okay. there's some caveats to, is it a boutique production uh-huh. build house? Uh-huh. Is it a... You know, hey, we can work with change orders, production bill house, uh, gotcha, et cetera. Um, but and I that would, seems to be changing with some of them. Oh, they, for sure. Builders that used to allow change orders are all of a sudden saying, nope, here's what you get. Correct. Well, it's just the process of it is just, I mean, it's just not manageable. And what happens is, say that, you know, uh, change orders is kind of part of the business, at least historically. And usually probably not something we dive into like, oh, we're talking about change orders. But in the whole scheme of things, you, it's just not manageable, right? Because whatever the customer wanted to change, mm-hmm. can you even get the new item? Okay. Because you get the new item, was it backward? What's happening? What's facilitating the change? Who's keeping track of the change? Uh-huh. I mean, technology helps with that a lot, right? In 2006, we would fax a change order to the office. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Right? That doesn't happen. That doesn't happen yeah. today. 
So, you know, for for new or younger agents, we ought to explain what a change order is. Oh, great. Yeah, absolutely. So a change order would be, say that we have a house uh, where the house has been sold or the house has even not been sold, but it's in process. Uh-huh. Any kind of change to that house would eventually involve a change order, meaning, hey, look, there was a budget for the house. The house had selections. Everything has mm-hmm. been picked out. The house is now under construction, and, well, we need to change something. Well, a change order would be the process that is noting that change in whatever builder's system or protocols of that house being built. Okay. That would be a change order. Hey, we have our our first set of what we want to do, but we want to change something. Okay, so change of mind. Yeah, exactly. So when buyers change their minds. Yeah. Okay, and that's post-contract. Yeah, I mean, technically, yeah, most of the time. Yeah, the the customer's building the house. The house is halfway built. They want to change something. Okay, gotcha. Can you have a change order? Gotcha. Yes or no? A builder that I've um, worked with a fair amount in in Orange and Chatham counties uh, used to, two years ago, I was working with them with some buyer clients and they allowed all sorts of changes. And it was, it was, I mean, I could tell it was a pain in the neck for yeah. them and expensive for the buyers, but they accommodated those. Yeah. But now I'm working with them again and their first uh, message to my buyers was, okay, you would like this house on this lot, this floor plan, and here's what it's going to look like. Mm-hmm. They had no no choice. Yeah. And that kind of goes back to, at the end of the day, that house is being offered, even though it might be by a, quote, custom builder, that house is being production built. Okay. And they're not, they're, you can't change a thing. This is what it's going to be. Um, or it's almost like you're selling it as an inventory home. You might, you might as well be selling it as if the home is finished and sitting there. Um, and that just goes back to the supply chain world that we're currently living in mm-hmm. post-COVID. You just can't, you, you, it's not as fluid in regards to being able to get what you think you can get. Mm-hmm. And that can go to anything. Do you think that is going to be the wave of the future now? I think from, at the end of the day, your people that are, that are building the houses, that are, that are investing the money, et cetera, which is a company, Right, even if they're doing 150 houses a year, mm-hmm. they're going to want to have their process in place so they can manage that process as efficiently as possible. Okay. And if they can still deliver that experience and have a happy customer, then yeah, they're going to try to avoid changing anything mm-hmm. just because down downstream it can get out of hand tremendously. Um, and you want to be able to deliver a house that you can, at the time of sale, you want to deliver what you sold the customer. Uh-huh. Right, because, oh, you know, hey, go to my design center, you, you can make some changes. Well, if the customer goes to a design center and makes some changes, and three out of the five things that they want to now get are not available because of the, su- the supply chain of the world, uh-huh. that conversation after the fact is going to be mm-hmm. pretty interesting. Yeah. It's yeah. like, oh, you can have these changes, oh, wait, well, this countertop you can't get, yeah. that backsplash accents on back order. These cabinet hardware pieces, we just can't get them for whatever reason, right? You, you kind of uh-huh. set yourself up for that kind of thing where if you're saying, hey, look, we've already talked to our people that we use as vendors. We know we can get all this stuff for the house. This is uh-huh. the way we want to build it. Okay. And is that pretty reliable when they get that information? It's always kind of fluid, but I would say it's more reliable than a scenario where the customer could be introduced to a whole menu of stuff. 
and then trying to source it after they pick everything yeah, up. Yeah, yeah. If that makes sense. Yeah, and I'm kind of surprised at my buyers who, when they're t- told you won't have any choices, I'm surprised they say, oh, okay. Yeah. And they just accept it. Well, let's think about this on a resale, right? A little bit different, but in a resale world, when a house is listed, no buyer walks into the resale listing and goes, hmm, what is this seller going to change to me? Are they going <laughs> to... They gonna resurface these cabinets for me. I really did like countertops. Yeah. So can we get the seller well, that's a really to, good like, point. to yeah. like change this stuff for us? Yeah. It's like, no, they're not done. Right. But I mean, I think historically, you know, rewind, you know, 15 years ago in the business, you wanted to accommodate the buyer as much as you could. And you have some more, a little bit more fluid ability to do so. The supply chain of the world wasn't what we're currently dealing with. And then mm-hmm. if you're used to making those accommodations, well, how long have you been doing that? Mm-hmm. And then how long does it take for that to cycle out of the market, right? Just It's like a habit. Mm-hmm. It's like that's the way we always did it. Yeah. And then so for that to change, it's like, okay, what's happened? Well, we have a supply chain issue market mm-hmm. at, at the current. And so any builder that's building houses is going to want to make sure that what they're promising to the customer is what they can deliver. Okay. Two questions. We used to talk about quote-unquote spec houses. Yes. Yeah. So we don't hear about spec houses because it seems like builders are selling those before they become spec houses. So what let me that's a little bit different in the new homes arena that will that will carry over to the real estate market in general is inventory. Right. Marsha, how much inventory is in the market in general? Not much. Not much. Yeah. Right. So what's happening is you know, obviously, some of this is is how I view things, and there's, people could listen to this and disagree completely, and that's fine. Historically, new construction is a small part of the overall trying to market. Call it fifteen percent, twelve percent. The majority of the transactions are resale transactions. Okay, but when there's no resale inventory, mm-hmm. then. Okay, goodness, the builders over here waving their hands. Guess what? I can offer houses. Yeah. Right. I can add inventory into the market. I've got this neighborhood with 250 home sites. Come see me, Mm -hmm. Mr. and Mrs. Buyer. I am essentially providing inventory. Mm -hmm. But the demand for that is such that for the last two years, what we've seen is the the home is being bought before the home starts. Yeah. Yeah. And so you can't say you're building houses. You can't get enough houses going to where you can finally complete one and introduce it to the market as an available home because the likelihood is it's been sold new construction. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then another thing that's kind of affected what builders were willing to sell is obviously you saw tremendous changes in what the direct costs were for construction, right? Lumber's doing this. Can you even get windows? Mm-hmm. You know, what is going yeah. on with that? And so builders don't want to sit there and say, oh, well, we'll build all these houses and you think you want to sell it, you know, before it starts. But what if your lumber package gets delivered and it's, it's costing substantially more than what you thought, right? So a lot of times you saw in this market is some of our, some of the builders that are in the market were saying, hey, we're willing to sell the house. But we're only going to sell the house after the walls go up. Yeah. Or yeah. we're going to sell the house when the windows go in. And they're controlling what inventory they're releasing to the market. Mm-hmm. So they don't have to price it until so they, they have, have the to, supplies. Correct. Gotcha. Because that because that could have been extremely fluid. Yeah. Yep, yep. You know, if you're a smaller builder where you're not ordering lumber, you know, 30 mm-hmm. or 40 houses at a time, mm-hmm. you know, you may it could it could vary mm-hmm. greatly mm-hmm. if you're building, you know, seven, eight, ten houses at once. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So it's like, oh, we're gonna sell it later. 
you know, it right. seems so risky for builders. And yet, because of this market and low inventory, they know they're going to sell those homes. Yeah. If they've got a good product. If they have a good product in locations there, exactly, the uh -huh. house is going to sell. But most of your, most of your building companies, doesn't matter who it is, they don't want to build the house for fun. Right. There, there, there's a, a, usually there's a bank involved, right? There's a, there's a line of credit that they're using to, to, to run their operation or whatever it is. And goodness, we've got to have some, there has to be a margin on the house. Right. Right. For right. the builder to want to do it over and over and over and over yeah. again. Sometimes right. we have to explain that to the buyer. <laughs> yeah, uh, like, these people are in this business to make money. It's not a dot org. <laughs> right. None of the builder websites end in dot org. Yeah. <laughs> Yep, yep. Got us way off track, but this yeah. is so interesting. Because you've already touched on it, let's talk about the supply chain. Sure. We're here September 2022. Is it getting any better? Yes, absolutely. Okay. At the height of supply chain issues, I was working in a neighborhood in Apex. We didn't know what we could get or when we could get it. And so what we're having to do is uh, we're having to take home site reservations because we didn't, we didn't know where the home, if, if, the, if the direct costs were going to change dramatically between when we contracted for the house and when the house started. So what we'd have to do is we'd take a home site reservation and tell the customer, hey, look, if you have a, a deposit with us, that deposit is X amount of dollars. It's completely refundable. Mm -hmm. We know the house mm -hmm. that you want to buy. We know which home site you want to put it on. Mm -hmm. And we know what features you want. Let me essentially send that to my operations department and then once they say that they can green light that at this price that we're talking about mm -hmm. then we can come back to you and we can sell it to you okay and then if you know but it, 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 it was our diligence to get back to the buyer within 30 days and say hey mr mm -hmm. mrs buyer we can proceed underneath the pricing arrangement we talked about previously or, hey, look, I'm sorry. Mm -hmm. You know, based on what we're looking at, the price of the home for us to be a seller has to be this, et cetera. But it, mm -hmm. my builder that I work for does not have an escalation. So once we have a sales price to the customer, uh -huh. that's, the, that's the price of the house. Now okay. we deal with stuff like, can we get the door locks? Can we get garage doors? Can what we, what we, are those items that are, uh, you know, uh, about four or five months ago, I heard it was HVAC systems. Yeah, what absolutely. is it now? Um, it, it, it varies month to month. So, mm -hmm. for example, last last summer I was selling townhomes in Wake Forest, and we couldn't get twelve inch ductwork, which is the supply line wow. for the air registers in the house. Wow! Right. So the house would sit there for three or four weeks, right? And it was no surprise to the H, to the HVAC company that mm -hmm. we need them because we're sitting there sharing our start schedule uh -huh. with the HVAC company, so they know. When these houses start, they know when the houses are getting framed, et cetera. And it's like, you should, by default, you should know when the HVAC rough-ins have to go in. But last summer, you couldn't get 12-inch supply line ductwork. Hmm. And so the houses sit there for three weeks. I said garage doors a minute ago. That's kind of the flavor of the week. Oh, okay. So I'm working, I'm working in Durham right now. What's interesting <laughs> is like, so we'll have a scenario where the appraiser is visiting the house to a final appraisal. Mm -hmm. And we're telling the appraiser ahead of time, hey, look, that's probably not going to be a garage door in the house right now. This, and then they're saying, hey, look, you know what we'll do? We'll go ahead and photograph the house. If the underwriter raises mm -hmm. their hand that mm -hmm. we need a garage door, then I'll call you back. Mm -hmm. okay. you know, we're trying to be proactive and letting right. people know what's there and what's not there. Yeah, but the then, bottom line is that at some point it doesn't matter what the missing item is. You can't get your certificate of occupancy if 
something's something's not there. Not there. Yeah, exactly. So we're having to kind of triage that. It could be what we can and can't get has been like a rotating as this whole thing has gone on. And how have you experienced buyers when they you you have to communicate those delays? I think they understand it to be honest because it's not like. I mean, they're seeing supply chain issues everywhere, everywhere. in the retail world. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, there was a run on toilet paper last year. Right? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, right? So it's like, hey, look, I mean, the times that we're in, it's not uncommon because the consumer is seeing that other places. They're probably a little frustrated and sometimes they have to hear it. A lot of the stuff that we're dealing with, hopefully we're navigating it, though, in such a timeline that the customer isn't that exposed to the actual delay. The delay. Okay. Because like I said, when you're building a house, a lot of things have to happen. So if we're having to wait on duct work or wait on this, are there other things we can do to the house to Mm -hmm. kind of keep the schedule on as intended? I mean, that's obviously the main goal. Uh And do you feel like most builders are trying to operate that way? I, I mean, my experience, but it's so limited, is that most builders are at least the production builders I've worked with are really looking out for the best interests of their buyers. Well, we essentially we kind of have to, right? That's our the, the the buyer is the customer. Right. I think one thing that's kind of different between the resale world and new construction is when a seller on a resale property puts that sign in the yard and contracts with XYZ, ABC Realty or whoever is to sell the home. They owe the buyer nothing. Yeah. Right? A swept out house, and if you, you know, did you take the light bulbs out or not, you know, yeah. kind of stuff, yeah. right? There's just, but in the building, there world, are a few things in that contract. Yeah. That, oh, for sure. That are the seller's responsibilities, but I know exactly what you mean. Yeah. They, but, the, but the buyer is not a customer of the seller. Okay. Gotcha. If the mm-hmm. buyer has a problem, they're likely not going to call the seller. And be mm-hmm. like, hey, here's my problem. How can right. you fix this? Right. They're like, I'm not involved in this. Look, here's uh-huh. we're buying the house. Here's what the contract says. Mm-hmm. I'm leaving the pool table above the garage, like I told you I was going to do, and uh-huh. that's all we're doing here. Yeah. Right. Where in new construction, it's a little bit different because that buyer is our customer. Yeah. Right. And so there's a level of customer service back to a buyer, which I don't think you really have. Arguably, it's in my opinion anyway, it's not necessarily there as much in the in the resale. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. And I, I don't think that most realtors think of that because they don't really have to. Yeah. They're never in the, whether they're the buyer's rep or the seller's rep. Yeah. Okay. So what's the current state of new construction in the triangle in this fast growing, crazy real estate market in the triangle? Yeah, I mean it's 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 a constant, you know. People keep moving here, right? People move here from all over the place. Boy, do they! Yeah. Um, historically, when I first got into uh, this business, it was a predominant northeast relocation. You mean people from the northeast? Absolutely. Moving here, yeah. Gotcha. Long Island, Jersey, uh-huh. New York. Getting to better weather and lower taxes. Lower taxes. Lower cost of living. Lower cost of living. Mm-hmm. Um, and you have some big companies kind of driving that, right? IBM has moved a lot of people here. Credit Suisse moved a lot of people here from Boston in like 06, 07 time frame. Hmm. Fidelity Investment. Um, so I think Credit Suisse moved people from New York. Fidelity moved people out of Boston in similar time frame, 06, 07. 
Um, and as, as people are drawn to RTP, you, know, you kind of have these different niche markets all around. You know, Chapel Hill is different than Cary, and mm-hmm. Cary is different than Holly Springs, and that's different than if you're going to Johnson County to the Clayton side of town, et cetera. Mm-hmm. It's all different. But, you know, the companies that are in Research Triangle Park, that is probably the largest center of employment for the market as a whole. Uh-huh. Right? So, and so as these people keep moving, the resale inventory of houses is not going to fill the demand. But you've seen, I mean, how many apartment buildings have you seen built in the last five, seven years? A lot. A lot. Um, everywhere. Everywhere. All over the triangle. Yeah, but that one bedroom and two bedroom and maybe there's a three bedroom apartment here and there, that's mm-hmm. not going to satisfy the overall mm-hmm. demand for housing. So home building is, has been a almost an industry in itself here in the, in the triangle over the last, I mean, my lifetime. Mm-hmm. My, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Definitely my professional career. So since, let's say from COVID on, so like January 2020 till now, how are builders viewing the triangle? I mean, yeah, you know, you talked about every area of the triangle has its own unique flavor, its own uh, unique employment. Yeah. So, you know, re- employment resources. I'm curious, like when I first got into real estate, everybody said, oh, all the growth is in Johnston County. And now I'm hearing all the growth is in Chatham County. Yeah. But isn't there growth everywhere? I would say so, right? Is is what as long as the land use planning, which I don't I don't deal with any of that, right? I have no I'm not on the land acquisition side of the business. But as you can see, as people keep moving here, is one can the builders or developers buy land tracks that can be close to uh, commute routes, close to highway access, and then can you get, you know, water, sewer, natural gas grid electricity, et cetera, can you get those things to where the land is going to be or are you buying uh-huh. the land ahead of time? Okay. You know, a lot okay. of it, you mentioned Chatham County a minute ago, a lot of the growth there is with Chatham Park. Right. I think they started buying land for that in like 07. Yeah, Briar Chapel was, that was started about the same time. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but it is almost completely built yeah. out now, so. Probably about 15 years. Yeah, yeah. More or less. Yep, more or less. I think that's about right. Yeah, yeah. there's a lot of houses there. There are a lot of houses. <laughs> I can't remember the number, but yeah, yeah. I'm still selling there. So. Yeah, absolutely, right? And that's just yeah. a scenario where a development company came in, put the land together, and then called the builders of the world to say, hey, do you want to buy 50 lots? Do you want to buy 80 lots? Do you want to buy 100? And, you know, mm-hmm. um, so. so is there that one area now, or I mean, we agree that it's happening all over, but is there one area that really pops out as where everybody thinks sort of the, the Holy Grail is going to be next? You know, from what I see, I think there's definitely concentrations, Western Wake County and Southern Wake County, just because you have the 540. Yep. yep. That's already there. Yep, that's right? interesting. And, and as that yep. route continues, you'll see stuff pop up to the south. Fuquay area, east mm-hmm. of Fuquay, et cetera, as that road starts looping around. But on the on the builder side of things, I think you'll kind of see it just follow the road. Okay. More or less. And now that road's going in because there's some people already living in these places, but it, you'll probably see that pick up tremendously. 
Let me ask you this. Can you help us understand the mindset or priorities of a production builder versus a custom builder? Like, and also, how do, how do buyers typically choose one over the other? In this, in this day and age, I'm not sure that that is as much as a conversation as it would have been when I first got into the business. Um, I could be wrong on that, but I think when I, when I think of custom builders, you know, I think of like Teardowns and McGregor. Okay. And like purely custom kind uh-huh. of scenario, right? I think at the end of the day, the buyer is going to buy based on location, value. Does the home meet what I'm looking for? Obviously, there's some there's some reputational preferences that people may have based on you know, hey, we we read a review online or this that and the other. But a lot, a lot of the kind of design center boutique home builders of years past where, oh, let's go build over it with this builder over here because they're more flexible and this, that, and the other. That mm-hmm. flexibility is kind of gone in a lot of cases. Okay. Our, so um, our have, I, I'm ignorant on this point. Have a lot of custom builders gone out of business? I would say no. I, mean, I think that, well, I think it's two different things, right? Again, I'll say if anyone is building more than, you know, a hundred houses a year. I think that's a kind of a production built house. Yeah. I think you're when I think of a custom builder, I think of someone doing a teardown in North Hills, or building a house in Governors Club, mm-hmm. or kind of purely like a custom experience where yeah. the buyer yeah. is very involved from the very beginning. Mm-hmm. Right. But no. Over the years, I think you're there's definitely been some consolidation in like the home builders, like one builder buying another builder and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But I think the number of custom builders is i mean i think i see more signs popping up almost here there everywhere it goes it goes back to the available land Uh uh-huh right a a more so if somebody gets their hands on that available land a custom builder maybe one to six lots absolutely yeah yeah like for example i think i just saw a uh uh, an ad on my instagram feed this morning about uh what i I would consider a custom builder here in the live market and they had 11 home sites off strickland road okay that's a very different experience versus a national builder that just bought a project or is doing a project where the homes where the home site number is five hundred houses. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Right. Which is what I mean, Dell Webb just uh, announced that they're building two hundred and fifty homes in Chatham County. Yeah. So that's the kind of thing that we're seeing in the orange Chatham more than Orange County. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I mean Dell Webb's Pulte Homes, right? They're a ginormous building company they build houses all over the u.s mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. so um in 250 i have no idea where the neighborhood is but 250 might be like a test run for them oh interesting Meaning like hey this 250 worked great yeah that can green light another 300 or whatever might be behind that or around that, that is or... so interesting because i wondered given that it's not far from chatham park i wondered why it wouldn't be bigger yeah so interesting well a lot of that goes to just in home building in general like most, a lot of, like, for example, the neighborhood that I work in now is 330 home sites, but it's phased, okay. right? So you're doing you know, uh-huh. your first 75 and your second 75, and you got townhomes and single family homes, and that allows us to build houses and phase out the neighborhood mm-hmm. versus having to develop all 330 lots mm-hmm. before we can build the first house. Because okay. there's a lot of, it'd be a, a huge economic spin before you build your first home. Mm-hmm. Any wild idea about how many production builders are working in the triangle? <laughs> I, I would kind of say all of them. And okay. Yeah. 
Uh, and so what I mean by that is obviously there's builders that build in Texas and Florida and Colorado that we don't see in our market, but your major the national builders, the national here. builders of the world, I believe, I believe they're all here, right? Wow. I mean, that, and that just speaks to the the market in the area. And it's almost kind of um, you know, for example, Apple just opened their their position here or their campus here, and they're going to build a campus, but they're taking an office building off Weston Parkway, I think, in Gary. Mm-hmm. And that's cheap due diligence for any other tech company in the world. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Hey, if it's good enough for Apple, why do we even have to do any other research? Mm-hmm. It's good enough for us. Yep, yep. Right? If, 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 if Durham is a good enough area for Google to open an office, does mm-hmm. a smaller tech company even have to think about it? Hey, Google and Apple are there. Yeah. That's pretty good reasoning, don't you think? And it's the same thing with the home building companies, right? It's like, oh... You know, D.R. Horton's building here. Should we go build with D.R. Horton's building? Well, D.R. Horton built a lot of houses. I so assume, does Cole Brothers Homes and et cetera, et cetera. So. And I assume part of that uh, vetting process is they've got to figure out if there's still land available. Correct. And do we have a lot of land available still in the triangle? In the triangle, I would say yes, but it's definitely sub-market specific. There are definitely some parts of town where you've run out of land. For sure. So and at least in my opinion. We're right. pushing outwards on for, the boundaries. Yeah, for sure. The definitely versus my versus when I started selling homes in West Cary in 2006 and 2007. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. I mean, but here's the thing. That part of town 15 years ago was, quote, pushing the boundaries. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Right? Yeah, Cary so, is really challenging to find anything in yeah, right now. Correct. Yeah. Right. So, um but yeah, I mean, as just as the, the resale market is tight with available homes, the land market is equally tight for builders to find things that, that work. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, okay. yeah. they're buying you know, into the builder's office. They're kind of historically, if they're negotiating resale transactions, it's like, well, that person's not on my team. Mm-hmm. I'm against them, right? I want to get mm-hmm. this, I want to get that, and et cetera. Where and so sometimes you can have a scenario where where the realtor's walking in is a little bit on defense. Well, that that's a good segue into my next question. Okay, perfect. <laughs> what do you think builders would like real estate agents to know or do to make the new construction transaction move along more smoothly? That, that, yeah, that's a great question. I would say that. One, kind of let the guard down a little bit, realize that at least, you know, the, the, the on-site agent there is, you know, wants to find out what's most important to the customer, mm-hmm. right? Do we have a house that works for the customer, et cetera, et cetera, and, and do as much research as possible if, if your client wants to go new construction ahead of time or reach out to the on-site agent ahead of time with any kind of list of questions and so that most people can be on the same page versus kind of, you know, if somebody says something, you know, say a realtor walks in and starts talking about the neighborhood and, oh, and just mentions something that's completely inaccurate. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm kind of in an odd spot at that moment. Yeah. Because I can either, one, immediately correct the inaccurate statement, uh-huh. which is kind of like, do I want to do that? If it's like a school assignment or something like yeah. this, or, yeah. oh, this is what's going on, you know, yeah, it's like, well, do I want to come out immediately? Do I want to throw what it's, could be considered my partner correct under the bus? Yeah, and I don't want to do that. And so you kind of have to kind of pick your spots in terms mm-hmm. of what. But I would say that if a realtor has 
a client that wants to buy new construction, if the realtor would get on the front end of that transaction, reach out to the on-site agent, and also tell your client, hey, look, don't, you know, if I'm helping you through this process, I do not want mm-hmm. you to go shopping on your own, right? Okay. It's not, it's not, it's not helping okay. anybody okay. in that yeah. scenario, but yeah. have have the the realtors on the buying side reach out to the on-site agents in any scenario just to kind of understand what's happening prior to that appointment walking in the door. Mm-hmm. But what I'll say what's interesting in my side of the business, the number of times that I've had people in the office where the realtor is meeting their, quote, client for the first time in my parking lot before they walk into my office. Oh, wow. And it's like, well, that's interesting. Yeah. You know? that's That kind of speaks volumes about that realtor, too. Yeah, I mean, but in, in today's referral world and who's going on and how is this an internet lead and how did I meet them and et cetera, I'm not saying it happens all the time, uh-huh. but it probably happens more times than it should. Mm-hmm. And then that's just really kind of interesting because it's like, okay, on, in an on-site environment, that on-site agent is going to know their playground, going to know their neighborhood extremely mm-hmm. well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right? So that, and that doesn't change for them. Right? They're working in the same environment every single day. Every single day. Every single day. They know their houses. They know their inventory. Uh-huh. They know what's under construction. They know what, you know. They know what the price of the homes are. They know they know everything, uh-huh. right? Uh-huh. And then you have two people that are new now that they've just met each other. Yeah, it's like okay. so. What kind of position does that put you in at that point? You know, it doesn't. It doesn't really change what I want to do, right? It could create some hurdles mm-hmm. in that because I don't know what their expectations are when mm-hmm. put together. And you've never talked to that agent. At this point. Exactly right. Because there would be, like I'm saying, so I'm just yeah. saying a scenario where if if the on-site agent can be, at, get a heads up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ahead of time. Now, so during COVID, the, the builder that I worked for, we worked 100% by appointment. Right? So no walk-ins, by appointment only. And that was somewhat helpful because it's controlling the time frame. I bet. And the communication. And the communication and who's there and who's not there. And is there a spouse that's out of state that you know that has, you know, are we gonna FaceTime them in or what's going on with that, right? Mm -hmm. And the by appointment structure worked really, really well because everyone was kind of on the same page. Mm -hmm. And it was kind of a byproduct of we didn't want to have scenarios where we got, you know, say we have a model home in Apex and I've got fifteen people in the model home during COVID. We're not we don't want to have that. Yeah. Right. So we're gonna have you know maybe one appointment per block uh-huh. to kind of control who's in and out of the office because we're dealing with this kind of scenario that we don't know mm-hmm. you know if it's good or bad for us or whatever's going on. But mm-hmm. that by appointment side, it definitely helped kind of establish who's involved, what's happening, and there's definitely communication prior to. Um, now we're kind of back to as COVID's kind of slowed down in terms of like people's retail experiences, if you will, you have a lot more kind of shorter term appointments. Hey, we booked this an hour ago versus a day or two ahead of time. And so mm-hmm. um, you're not having as much lead time sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, but like I said, still, if the, if the buyer's agent, that side of it, would have an open line of communication with the on-site prior to, I think it would just help. Yeah, yeah. It doesn't matter who the builder is. Well, I have to tell you, you are echoing a major point that uh, our podcast panel has been trying to communicate with all, through all their podcasts. Yeah. 
which is pick up the phone, call the agent, and establish a relationship. Yeah. Because then you are in that partnership, and no matter who who the personalities are, it's just going to go, the chances it's going to go better are huge. 100%. So it's interesting, though, because I have to say that I've been guilty with new construction agents of walking and thinking it's just a little awkward but if yeah. i had picked up the phone first it would have gone much yeah. better because i feel like i'm walking into their house with my clients yeah and i'm wanting to have ownership of my clients yeah. and being included but i also want to be respectful of what they're teaching yeah. me and my clients yeah yeah, so I would say communication on the front end would just go a long way. And that doesn't matter, who the, that doesn't matter who the builder is. But we also live in a time frame where if the number that's calling you and you don't know who it is and it's not on your caller ID, you're thinking you're going to get called by a car warranty. <laughs> right? So you, do you right. pick up the phone. Do you, you know, does that person send you a text message saying, hey, you just missed a call from mm-hmm. me? I'm so and so. Because I mean, we, on the appointments that we do have, we're tasked with reaching out a day before, mm-hmm. a day before to confirm, sometimes an hour before as well to confirm, hey, is there anything that we need to know? Mm-hmm. Do you like getting that text that would say, you know, boy, I'm Marsha Vaughn with Alan Tate and I want to bring. My clients buy. Absolutely. Okay. Any any onsite agent is going to love that. I'm I'm finding that texting is just always the way to go because not everybody in well yeah. I I want to pick on the younger generation but that's not quite fair. Not yeah. everybody listens to their voicemail. I don't. Oh well, there you go. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I mean, I would think it's like oh, I had a voicemail. Um, okay, delete. Yeah. I will say the number of voice messages that I get these days has dwindled. And it's probably always old farts like me that leave that voicemail. Yeah. I, I just think that from a, from everything, everyone it wants to be as efficient as possible. And it's okay. I have to, yes. I have to call. Yeah, and listen. I agree with you. I have to call and listen to my voicemail. What is it going to say? Um, yeah. I do think that texting just in the business as a whole. I, I don't like that side of it for like important stuff, right? If we need to talk about like offer terms or talk about a contract or I think a lot can get lost in translation yeah. on the tech side of things. Yeah. So in that, I'm going to refer to a phone call. I'm going to send you an email. An email, right. You know, um, but, you know, we have people that will like send text messages and I just kind of like cringe. Like, oh, wait, hope, 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 Yeah. I, I agree. Yeah. I mean, we have programs that save our text messages, but I don't know how reliable they are. And I yeah. feel like when you're talking price and terms, you need to put it in an email. Agreed. Agreed. You had a, a question earlier, though, was about, you know, what can, you know, uh, kind of like buyer and realtor expectations. I mean, one thing that we, that the industry as a whole is kind of, in my neighborhood at the moment, I'm currently selling roughly 100 homes in process. So if someone drives through, wow. there's a lot of stuff getting built, right? Now, out of the hundred, there's about that are that are in a stage of production. There's about eight that can be sold. Okay. Right. So that means that the ninety-two other homes have already been sold, mm-hmm. and people would walk in like, "Hey, you know, you have these homes being built. My clients here, like, what do you what do you got? What can we buy?" And yeah. I'm just like, "Well, let's talk about." You know, first part of 2023, it's going to be a great year, mm-hmm. and we have some we have some availability mm-hmm. that can deliver, you know. Do you, ha- do you have the map with the little different colored dots oh, on absolutely. it? Oh, <laughs> absolutely. Everyone's got that map, yeah. right? But the consumer would do like a drive-through, you know, the, or the showing agent, and they're thinking, oh, all this stuff's in our truck. I'm sure we can buy something. Yeah. I'm like, hey, what do you got? And I'm like, we got this. And like, it's like one property. 
like, oh, we want to move like this summer. I'm like, well, you can't. We're sold out through mm -hmm. October. Mm -hmm. I have one house for November. Everything else is January, February, March of next mm -hmm. year. Like, and I, I think that if people go to builders' websites, they're usually pretty up to date, but it has to be hard to keep them completely up yeah. to date. So once again, you're back to pick up the phone. Old school call. Yeah. Like, hey, what can we? You know, I just think that's the easiest way. To yeah. So kind of segued in again into my next question, but I think you also sort of answered it. What are the biggest challenges facing builders as it relates to buyers? Yeah, just the the buyer's expectation. Gotcha. A hundred percent. And the the builder's agent can help alleviate those problems. Yeah. Pretty much. Pretty much so. And it all goes back to that communication ahead of time because we talked about before even with the custom builder that used to do some business that would allow changes, right? No mm -hmm. one's allowing changes. So, hey, if we're buying a house mm -hmm. and that, or we're contracting for a home and that home is essentially a dirt lot where we don't even have the, we might be, the house corners might be staked. And here it's going to be, and it's going to be fantastic, but you have to wait seven months for it, okay? Mm -hmm. They're like, well, why can't I change anything? Yeah. Right. And that goes back to our change order conversation we kind of let off with. It's like, what is the, the supply chain of the world is horrible. We can't change a thing. Right? We're trying to deliver this house as close to the time frame as we, as we said up front as possible. So I think that, you know, from an expectation setting, what's reality? Uh -huh. You know, yes, the majority of the homes are going to have to be built after they're contracted for. There's not a ton of inventory in the market. And that's just kind of where, that's just kind of where we're at at the moment, mm -hmm. you know? And like I said, as we talked about before, some builders are targeting their sales around delivery. Again, trying to shorten the sales cycle for their customer, mm -hmm. which is smart if you can do it, mm -hmm. right? But not every builder can do that because these are big companies. They have sales goals, right? And if the sales goal can't be achieved by selling 180 inventory houses in a month, because you didn't want to, you didn't want to go into the house, you didn't want to go into that month with 180 unsold inventory homes, because someone's going to say, "Hey, goodness, you that's millions and millions and millions of dollars worth of unsold availability. Why is it still there unsold?" Right. So um, it's it's really a kind of a an interesting scenario that we're in. But just like I said, it goes back to the communication thing, which we talked about. You earlier reminded me, too, that I think that it's important for real estate agents who are representing the buyer to figure out if this is a buyer that can handle a production-built home where they won't have any choices. Yeah. And a couple of years ago, I had a, a elderly clients, and the builder's rep and I both realized they are not candidates for this process. They had previously built custom homes, mm -hmm. had custom homes built for them, yeah. and they just were not going to be patient yeah. with you know, the, the production builder saying, no, this is how it yeah. is. So we tried to talk them out of it. They did not listen to us, and then they ended up being frustrated all yeah. the time. But yeah. And you know, like I said, if, if someone's saying, hey, I know such and such from book club or Bible study, and I need to go, and I want them to build me a house. Well, that's going to be a drastically different process, and that would be arguably completely custom, mm -hmm. you know, versus what the building companies of any, like I said, 100 houses or more are working through at mm -hmm. the moment. I think it's a, a just really different client that yeah. wants to go that custom route yeah. 
but that that kind of is another a whole nother conversation because then I think it leads into what kind of client wants to be on a two to five acre lot and not have a big neighborhood versus a client that wants to be in a neighborhood with amenities and neighbors close by and a sense of community yeah well you've seen it right i mean in in our current in our current market conditions right so right now we're sitting in north raleigh you know up off creedmoor road and north of 540 and the number of new construction neighborhoods air quote that are out here started a million dollars Right, so yep, 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 I yep. mean, which is yep. just crazy, right? right. Um, oh, the the in Orange and Chatham, I mean Chatham County prices are just skyrocketing, yeah. and the new construction, yeah, just it's not yeah. it's not reachable for a lot for of people. Most, yeah, and I think what you know one thing that's kind of interesting is before we kind of talked about the northeast relocation that was kind of the tax abatement and the cost of living and et cetera. But now these people, and we love them to death, but they move here from California. Oh, I know. I know. Right? And I, I think I kind of joke with people. I think I don't think they pack their clothes. I just think they get off the airplane with double bags of money. <laughs> because they can now, quote, yeah. work from home. Right. And they yeah. didn't have to be in San Francisco. Well, all right. And then right? in places like Chapel Hill, we have a lot of um, foreign-born people coming in with foreign bags of money oh, um, sure. I mean just it's unbelievable what yeah what they think I, I tend to apologize for Chapel Hill taxes and they just laugh at me like you know this is yeah. nothing yeah. nothing to them so um, I sold I sold this is years ago but I sold uh, a family a townhome in West Cary it was the uh, first neighborhood that I was working in for my now current builder it was 2000 late spring um, of 2014, and they paid 220 some odd thousand dollars for a two bedroom, three and a half bath kind of study on the first floor, but didn't have a closet, so we didn't really call it a bedroom. One car garage townhome. It was 1,700 feet, and it was 220 thousand bucks. And they were like, Tucker, where we're from, and I can't remember if it was somewhere in Japan or if it was somewhere like Taiwan. It was either a city in Japan or somewhere in Taiwan. They work for a tech mm-hmm. business. They're like, talking this same house where we're moving from would cost just under $3 million. Wow. And we're buying it for $220,000. Like, this is like, <laughs> we can't even buy a house there, right? And it's like, you know, and then magnify yeah, yeah. that with, and not really magnify that move, but as people start working from home, the number of California relocations to mm-hmm. the greater Raleigh area, Nashville, Tennessee sees the same thing. Parts of Texas are seeing the mm-hmm. same thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just, you know, the, the median price in Raleigh, I think last month, probably kind of, I don't think it necessarily set a record, but I think the median price for a home is like in the 400s. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But we have people moving here where the median mm-hmm. price is seven, a seven figure. Mm-hmm. Do you know what the scenario. median price is in Chatham County? I don't. It's I in the sevens. Yeah. 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 Tucker, thank you. You have been so generous with your time. Is there yeah. anything else you want to to say that you think we need to know, us, um, in know, this case, buyer as buyer agents? Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, the new home consultant wants to sell a house, and they want the customer to have as best of an experience as possible. Mm-hmm. Now, in every real estate transaction, things can go left, right, and 
wobbly and et cetera. That, that can happen anywhere. Mm-hmm. But I think that knowing that you know, when you're having an interaction with a builder rep, that builder rep, for the most part, wants that interaction to go the best it possibly can because they want to represent mm-hmm. the interests of their builder, which is to sell a house yeah. to yeah. the consumer. And we need to, we as buyer agents need to remember that and and pay homage to that and partner with you as we try to reach that goal. Yeah, we don't want to butt heads. You know, I mean, it's like, hey, look, let's try, do we have a way to move this forward? Do we have what your client wants? Mm -hmm. And I will say, hey, look, if we have what your client wants, like why continue shopping? Uh You know, Uh it's like, (laughs) it doesn't happen often, but we've had folks Mm -hmm. who are like, hey, you know, I really like this. I'm like, great, let's buy it. And then the, uh-huh. the realtor's like, well, we've got a couple more showings. <laughs> it's like, no, you don't. You don't have any more showings, right? They're saying that we like want to yeah. buy, you know? Um, and well, so I just, but yeah. I can see that because it's like, hey, look, you told that client they're coming in from out of town. We've got a couple of showings. It's how we're going to start our day. It's how we're going to end our day. We'll recap. And I can mm-hmm. definitely understand that kind of thing. You know, if you're kind of, you mentioned a minute ago, you kind of want to, hey, I have my buyer. It's my client. And there's kind of like a little bit of like a, of a protection bubble around uh-huh, them a uh-huh. little bit. Yeah. Um, and so whereas on the builder side, they want to sell a house. Yeah, yeah. You know? Well, um, and yeah, I, I do think that we need to try hard to pay respect to that because we are in your house when we walk into that setting. Yeah. So. You know, Marsha, I appreciate the invitation. This has been this has been delightful. Yeah, for um, for me and for all of our listeners. So thank you so yeah. much, and good luck to you. I think you have a very bright future in the triangle and new construction. You personally, and and also your whole industry. It's, Absolutely, it's an exciting time. We yeah. have much to be thankful for. Thank you very much. Yeah, take care. Yeah. This has been an episode of Welcome Home production of the Orange Chatham Association of Realtors. Find us on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you listen to podcasts.